Blog Talk Radio. Oh, oh, check it out. Yard line. It's second and goal. 
However, if Seattle would have got that touchdown, how would people be? How would people would have looked at that play call? They would have got a touchdown off the off the off the back. I mean, the guarantee thing was the one beat no, but at the same time, like you can't really be mad if if that play if that pass didn't get in a second. Granted, I wouldn't have passed in that situation. Let the one y'all lie. I mean, Wilson could have ran that in. Um, um. Well, I look at it from from both sides. Now, Steve <clears throat> Carroll went on record as saying that the reason why they went with that with that play call was because of the defense that New England was showing. They said that they were showing that goal line formation was with nothing but big guys and not a lot of DBs. So Carroll figured he would go out there. You know, go trip to you know, spread them out. No, no running back in the backfield, and throw it because it was nothing but big guys out there. He figured he'd have a favorable matchup, and obviously, he, you know, he kind of had a favorable matchup. But uh, the young man made a hell of a play on the ball to seal the victory. That's one side. Now the other side is yes, you run the ball with Marshawn Lynch because you got Beast Mode back there. There's a reason why he's back there. There's a reason why. He has the reputation that he has. You know, he got you to the one-yard line after that big play by Javon Curse. You figure right. he got you five yards to the one. Why not feed him again and see what happens? Um, so, so, I mean, I see it from all different sides. Uh, my personal opinion is that, you know, the play call is what it is. No matter how that play would have went down, no matter what they would have called, if it didn't work and they lost, people would criticize it regardless. Mm-hmm. So the bottom line is the bottom line is E. Carroll had to do what he had to do based on what the defense was showing. If they were showing that they were ready for run, of course he would have to go pass. Now some will say he should have had a play for Russell Wilson audible out of um in case of that, but uh, apparently he didn't. You know, so I mean, no matter what would have happened, again, it would have been scrutinized had the had it not worked and the Seahawks still lost. Um, whereas if that play works and um, Baldwin gets a touchdown, then we're not. There's now no debate. They'd be like, "Well, Pete Carroll was a genius. That was a great call." So yeah, uh, I, thought, I thought that was a, I thought that was locking. But I did I did have a rant though in regards to that. It's going to be a short one though. It's not going to be like a long drawn out. It's a short one. Um, and it doesn't even have to do with the play in and of itself. Because, again, I see it from both. I'm neutral when it comes to that play. Part of me is like, yeah, they should have ran the ball. They had one timeout, and there was time left on the clock. They could have ran the ball, ran the clock down, called timeout, ran another play on third down, though. Then on third down, they'd have been prepared for pass and then had like a nickel or dime package. So, But my rant has to do with Daryl Bevel. Now, for people who don't know who Daryl Bevel is, he is the offensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. After the game, Daryl Be- right after the game, Russell Wilson and 
Pete Carroll both took responsibility for that final play. You know who didn't take responsibility for that final play? The old no. called it. Okay? And I have a problem I, I, with that. I, I, was, I was about to get there because he also, he also plays blame on uh, Lockett. Yeah, that's that who he, was it was Lockett. He said that Lockett, what, he, he wasn't aggressive enough to get off the block the, uh, to actually fight for the ball. No. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was getting ready to get into. How do you know that? That was, I mean, that was, that was great defense. It is what it is. You call it with, you call it whatever you want to. You can't fault the receiver for that. I mean, he. I mean, you had to go on. He's going to get jammed up. He is. He is going to be tight covered, especially when you were to go on. And you run a twenty. Come on now. That's it. This is my this is my problem with Daryl Bevel. Like you just said, he threw basically threw Lockett under the bus and didn't really want to take full responsibility for the play call. Your head your your head coach take responsibility. Your starting quarterbacks take responsibility. But you as the OC who made the freaking call are try, is trying to basically throw your own receiver under the bus saying he didn't fight enough to pull the ball. No, you don't do that. And you're supposed to be you're a head coaching. Um, candidate, and you're doing that, you really think any of the teams out here nowadays are going to want you as a head coach knowing that you're willing to throw your players under the bus for your mistake? You really think that you're going to get a head coaching job anywhere in the NFL? I'd be surprised well, if you get another coordinator's job anywhere in the I mean, NFL with that kind of crap. <laughs> I mean, that, that bothered me. That really bothered me that he threw Block it under the bus like that. I mean, the rookie made a great play on it. There's no, yeah. though you don't blame Block it. You don't. You blame yourself because you made the call. But of course he did. I mean, my thing was, I mean, I mean, that was, I was, I mean, honestly, that was trifling. I mean, one thing about, one thing about me, I own up to everything that I do. The good stuff and the bad. You see, another grown man, especially when it's, when it's older than me, that won't admit to his mistakes. That pack that will pass the blame on anyone but him. I view view you as a weak man. No babble. Whatever respect I had for you before the Super Bowl. Oh, it's gone now. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that just that was pathetic on Babel's part to to um, put that on Lockett. And that's that you know that's that's where my issue was. The play call I don't have much of an issue with at all. I mean they had to go with what the defense was giving them, but Bevel to to um to blame Lockett or to put some of it on Lockett? No, you made the call. You take responsibility. You say I made the call. Obviously the wrong call. I should have went with something else. Exactly. You made the call. That was your call. I mean, everybody would have viewed them as a genius if that would have been a touchdown, but it wasn't. That wasn't the case. My thing was this: he needs to own up to what he did. You are exactly. a head, or a offensive coordinator, a head coach candidate. You have the entire National Football League looking at you for making coaching jobs. Right. 
pulling this kind of stuff? Come on, I don't know. Nobody, I mean, you. It might be some things I might say will cancel you, but at the same time, no. You want your coaches like that are the ones that lose the locker room very quickly. Yeah, I mean, he ain't. I mean, Dan, his, the D, DC, you know, got a head coaching job. He was introduced this week as the the new head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, and their staff is already coming together. Former Redskin and, and Browns offensive coordinator Kyle Shanahan is now down in the A, going to be calling the offense for Matt Ryan and them. So I'll be interested to see how Kyle Shanahan's offense works out with Matty Ice and them. Honestly, I don't know. Because it really doesn't have that much of a run game. I mean, I, I like Jacquees Rogers. I mean, he's not an every day on back, but he brings a lot to an offense. If I'm if I'm the Atlanta Falcons, they need to draft a serious running back. <laughs> they need to draft a future running back. Yeah. Rogers is yes. great, but he's not a future back. Yeah. No, I I agree. I think that Atlanta does need a younger running back. Running back. My question to you, though, Chills, is do you think that Kyle Shanahan's offense will have some success with the with the pieces that they have down there in Atlanta? Yes, and I mean he has. I mean, passing wise, he has the pieces. But you look at Shanahan's offense. I mean, it's mostly run play action. This Atlanta offense is used to West Coast is used to being in the West Coast setting. West Coast set. You got Julio. You got Roddy White. You got Hurry Douglas. You had three good receivers. You got Rogers, who's also a great receiver running back. The Falcons need a good running back. Steven Jackson ain't it. He's good for short yardage and goal line situation. Right. I'll be interested to see what happens, you know. I'll be interested to see how, how it works out down in Atlanta with, you know, Kyle and, and Dan Quinn. Quinn, who's definitely, you know, formerly a, de- a defensive coordinator, and the one knock on Atlanta is that their defense has not been very solid in the last couple of years, and so they're trying to make that into a more solid unit, which I think Dan Quinn, with the help of uh, yeah. his DC could honestly, I think honestly, I think them going for uh to see our former defensive coordinator was great. It was a smart move. I mean, you haven't the Falcons haven't been a real defensive team in a long time. Their last few head coaches have been offensive coaches. So it's like when they finally get that, they finally get a defensive line coach. I mean, he's going to change that identity. He's going to make that defense south. I mean, the Falcons might be a contender in the next few years. I mean, I ain't going to say he's going to rebuild that team overnight, but because I mean, he has to build that defense up. <laughs> like they need pieces. 
It's interesting you mentioned rebuild because I was listening to the drive uh, on Monday on the drive on ESPN 980, and Chris Cooley made several mentions that the Redskins are going through a rebuild. Um, are currently going or will be going through a, re, a rebuild next year. Um, you know, Jay Gruden's going into a second year as head coach. Um, there's going to be a new de- defensive coordinator, a uh, new defensive backs coach, you know, other new coaches on the staff and things of that nature, new general manager. You got to wonder what's, you know, what's going to happen. So, you know, we're both as being lifelong Redskins fans. I got to ask you, do you feel that 2015 is a rebuilding year for the Redskins? Honestly, it will be. I mean, I knew that once all these changes came. Mm-hmm. With that said, I just, I mean, I just hope this is a real rebuilding year to the right direction. When I say that, I mean, I want, like, I mean, I want this to be a, a year that, that we rebuild some something positive. And we actually look like there's actually chemistry on the field, and the team looks organized. I mean, I looked at some of these offices, I mean, all season moves so far. I mean, I ain't gonna lie, I've, I've, been, I've been impressed. I've been This is the first time we actually had a real coaching staff in a very long time. This is the first time we actually had a GM in the dance night era. Yeah, I missed the days of Charlie Cassidy. I'll tell you that much. I I will say this. I mean, I do kind of, I do kind of agree that it is a rebuilding year for the Redskins. I mean, you know, you got you got Arakpo getting ready to be a free agent. You know, they're not going to resign him. They already franchise tagged him last year, and he didn't really show much to earn a long term deal. So you know, he's probably going to be gone. Um, so you, know, you got a GM in who knows talent. I mean, he was able to find Russell Wilson in the third round, and now look at Russell Wilson. He's been in the Super Bowl twice, won one, and look what he did in San Francisco. I'm sure he could find a good outside linebacker in the draft that can come in and, you know, be a good compliment to Ryan Kerrigan. Um, you got to hope that Robert Griffin can get back to get his stuff back together because they have to make the decision whether they're going to exercise that fifth-year option on his uh, on his rookie contract. You know, Alf is going. You know, you got to get Alf going. All that stuff. I mean, it's definitely one of this year is definitely that year we got to build things back up and then you know make that push to make that push to finally be a successful franchise. You got a lot of points. I don't think the skins will go. I don't think the defense. I mean, I don't think the skins are going to go uh, outside linebacker in the draft. Though, I mean, only way I will see that is if they actually trade down their pick. Honestly, 
I see him actually looking at Jason Wells from the Pittsburgh Steelers, who's also a free agent this year. He will be he will be a great fit because I mean he come, he's coming from the three four defense. He can cover and also rush the rush the quarterback. He will, I think he will be he will be a great complement to Ryan Kerrigan. I look at Trent Murphy. I think Trent Murphy needs a little bit more time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think he does need a little bit more time. I see more as a pass rusher than someone that actually can play coverage. I mean, your linebacker coach will have to be strong to actually get him in the coverage. Right. Well, I mean, enough, and then not to just, you know, jump from subject to subject, but that's what we do around here. Um, what about, like, how do you feel, how did you feel about Aaron Rodgers being named NFL MVP? Did you, like, was that like a shock? I'm pretty sure it wasn't, but, you know, what was your feeling on that? Hold on, repeat the question. I was saying, like, Aaron Rodgers won. NFL MVP at the uh, for the year. So what are you? What's your feeling on that? You think JJ Watt should have won it, yeah. or you think that, that was the right choice? Uh, nothing against Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's a great quarterback. He's a great player. But I think this was supposed to be the year, JJ. I thought that this was supposed. This was JJ's moment. I mean, J.J. had one of the greatest years for a defensive player in a very long time. They should have gave J.J. I think J.J. deserved it. I mean, he scored. I mean, he not only played, got sacked, but he scored points on offense. I mean, he scored touchdowns on offense and defense. He backed balls down. He forced fumbles. He and, I mean, he was top five at the time. Like, what J.J. does, that's what many defensive players can do. So, J.J. won MVP? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> so here's, here's, here's a fun fact, champ. You know, once upon a time in the 2011 draft, we actually could have drafted J.J.? Really? Yes. JJ was still on the board when we originally had our tenth overall pick. We didn't draft JJ. Didn't we draft Kerrigan or, or yeah, Ryan? We drafted Kerrigan that year. I mean, nothing against Ryan. Nothing against Ryan. I mean, Ryan Kerrigan is a beast. But that was one year I wish that we actually would have, you know, had two picks. <laughs> Or at least would have went with JJ. I see what you mean, because yeah, that would have been awesome to go with to have JJ Watt. Though, like I said, Ryan Kerrigan was definitely a good pickup because he's been consistent every year. I mean, he's been probably the most consistent part of that de- of the Redskins defense for for a long time. So, you know, even if J- with JJ going to Houston. We still made out good. We still made out good with Kerrigan. 
though, he makes, I mean, if he, I mean, him, I mean, the impact that he has on that defensive line, the impact that he has on that defense is crazy. Seriously? Like, it's like you have to really game plan for JJ. Yeah, JJ, JJ, in my opinion, is just like like Levar says on on NFL AM. He has a segment called All Mammal, and that's JJ Watt. He's all freaking mammal. Like that that kid is just all the changes, and it's just you know it's amazing. You know how good he is, and how much better he's gonna get because he's still a young guy. So he'll only get better. Not like on a decline anytime soon. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but I'm just that's just my thought process on that. I don't see him declining anytime soon, and he's still a young he's still a young guy. So we've got still plenty a lot in the tank to really possibly become the first defensive player since LT. Lawrence Taylor to win MVP. Right. Oh, who knows? Who knows? But we got we got to move on. What's up with your boy Warren Sox? I was actually just about to bring that up, man. Let me. This Bama here, yo. He follow. He's trying to follow Greg Greg Anthony's in Greg Anthony's footsteps, trying to proposition. Processes in Arizona, like, come on, that really? Like, really? And then on top of that, they snitched because they said you assaulted them because of the money. Like, really, dude? Like, aren't you married? Like, what, 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 what's wrong with this picture? Well, I understand. I mean, I mean, from a married man, I mean, if you want to cheat, you got to pay for it. I'm sorry. You're not paying, I mean, you're not paying for the cat. You're paying for the cat not to interfere with your not interfere, interfere with your merch in your happy home. However, I mean, if he's going to do all that, he might as well pack some side piece. Or well, had a side piece already ready. I mean, he just saw Greg Anthony go down in D.C., he did not think that it was going to reach, reach to him in Arizona. I mean, he pretty much gave us his job. I mean, he lost his job. And that's no different than yep. winning it. I mean, they always say that when it comes to things like, you know, side pieces or, you know, propositioning hookers or anything like that, it's not, it's not that you're paying them for the sex, you're paying them to leave. And in some cases, you're paying them to keep quiet. Exactly. In this case, he wasn't trying to pay the money to keep them quiet, and then even apparently, allegedly tried to assault them because they wanted the money to keep quiet. In 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 retrospect, and now he's not only out of a job at NFL Network, which kind of sucks because I actually enjoyed that on you know NFL Game Day morning with the rest of those guys. I actually enjoyed that. You know, especially that segment he had with Michael Irvin uh, called You Know It because they're both from DU. So, yeah. that kind of sucks. But, I mean, that's what happened. I mean, just because you're a Hall of Famer 
with a Super Bowl championship and you're on your uh, recognized personality, it's just like any other job. You do something like egregious and they're going to fire you. And that's what happened here. Yep. Uh, I feel bad for for for, for Sap, but I mean he bought it on himself, just like Greg Anthony bought it on himself, and look where they are now. I mean, my brother posted a picture on his face, uh, shared a picture on his Facebook of some thought that um that took a selfie of herself after fucking Julian Edelman, and said I just fucked like and just put it out there on the internet. And I'm just like, what? Are you serious with me right now? Right. Let me see if I can find it. Let me see if I can find that picture real quick, so you, cause you gotta take a look at this. I mean, dude, it just—I'm just looking at that. I'm like, what? You really just—you really took a selfie of yourself and with Julian Edelman and put put it out there on the interweb. Like, what kind of dumbass person are you? Are you sure? It's pretty bad. Yeah, get back to the set. Just do what I say, girl. Let me work on it. Wow, while you look for that, uh, I'm going to actually bring up. I just want to bring up something. February is Black History Month, and the Skybox will feature a black athlete every day of Black History Month. I started started yesterday, well, today (laughs) at midnight. With Doug Williams. For those who don't know who Doug Williams is, Doug Williams is the first ever African American quarterback to start and win a Super Bowl. He also holds the record for most touchdowns in the quarter with four. He's a former Grandma State, State head coach, and he's one of the greatest Redskins of all time. And I remember, I vaguely remember Doug Williams' performance in that Super Bowl where he scored those four touchdowns in that one quarter. And everybody thought that, you know, he was going to be the franchise quarterback for the Redskins. And he ended up struggling after that Super Bowl win. But he also, but he went on to become a very good head coach at Rambling. So, you know, proud of Doug Williams for everything that he's done. Will he end up in the Hall of Fame? Highly doubt it, but he definitely goes down in the annals of NFL history with that performance at the Super Bowl and just crushing them. Uh, I mean, Doug did struggle. With, for people that don't understand, Doug was, what, 33? Doug was in his mid-30s by the time of the Super Bowl. I mean, between all the field issues with drinking and the fact of in the fact of age, yeah. And I finally see that pic of that you just sent me. Since we, you know, we are highlighting Black History, uh, I definitely want to have a you know give a highlight shout out and a a rest and please to. Uh, Charlie Sip, uh, Charlie Sipper, I think that's his, I think that's his last name. I feel bad if I am wrong about that, but he was actually 
basically known as the Jackie Robinson of professional golf. Um, he was the man who basically ushered in integration of golf. He went on to win a few tournaments on the PGA Tour, and, I, and he was basically one of the inspirations of Tiger Woods and other um, African, other which are very few African American golfers in joining the sport. Um, he actually passed away earlier this week at the age of 92. So he lived a very full, long life. And again, he was basically one of the he was basically a pioneer when it came to um, African Americans uh, part of the PGA Tour. So wow, that's another you know that's a gentleman who was you know definitely um, he's definitely somebody who deserves to you know deserves that 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 accolade and to be remembered. Definitely. Yeah, he does. He was definitely somebody who made who, who paved the way. He does. Oh man, what's up with your boy with the Packers though? Dog. First of all, how the fuck do you pronounce his name? Detroit Gunning. I think so. So gun? I'm gonna say Gunning. Like. Guy in, whatever. Trying to, he's trying. He's trying. He's trying to act like he uh, he 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 running his own version of the card out here, man. That Batman had all that weed. I saw the picture too. I saw the picture, dog. He had all that weed, cash, that gun. I'm like, dude, you're an NFL player. I mean, I'm sure you're not making the millions like most of these cats are, but you're making a decent salary. Shit, you're probably making more than me and Jill's put together. But yet, you out here I know he's like more. that. Huh? I know he's making more than me. I mean, I'm to make Let's be for real. But that Bama is slang like that? Like, really, dude? Like, really? Is is time that hard for you that you got slang? Come on now. That, it, 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 it shouldn't be that way. Shoot, I'm struggling. You ain't going to see me. I don't know nobody's going to slang it. Come on now. You're in the I mean, some, a lot of them don't realize that, though. It's like... They get to the NFL and don't realize what they really have. They don't, they take for they take they take for granted of what they got. They don't understand that you know, there's are people that that will kill for what they have. No, I trust me. I'm, I'm I agree with you 100. percent I mean, you look at this situation with Troy Gunyan. You look at you know, Bama's like like Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence Phillips. Look at Lawrence Phillips. Look at Ryan Leaf. Hell, you can even look at um. What is, look at Josh Gordon ass. Look at Josh Gordon. This Bama has not played. Has only played one, maybe full season in his career in the NFL. Most of his times, he's been injured or suspended because of substance abuse. And now he's about to he's about to be out for a year because he failed a test, which was because he had drank alcohol. And it's just like, dude, get your head out of your ass, leave the alcohol and the drugs alone, and concentrate on football. 
God's, at this point, God's world needs a mentor. He needs someone to really reach out to him, <clears throat> to keep his mind on football, to remind, uh, remind him of what he had, to remind him of what he came from, and the purpose of him getting to that level. Now look at Josh Gordon. Now look at a lot of these players like Tamar Jackson, for example. I mean, how I many times, how I many chances has Tamar had coming into the league? I mean, Tamar is about to it's possibly facing a lifetime ban, right? Did you did you read that open letter that Josh Gordon wrote to? to I was actually I, I was actually I was actually about to uh, go into that because I mean I, I give him credit though I mean I actually read it, it was like wow it was like I couldn't make them promise what open letter because I mean. I mean, granted, what he did was stupid, but at the same time, I mean, you getting criticized by people you don't even know or that hasn't even sat down and talked to you. I give I mean, him credit yeah. for, you know, I definitely give him credit for, you know, not, for taking responsibility for what's going on with him and not, you know, blaming it on anybody else. I give him credit for that. And you know, I'm I'm hoping and I'm praying that this suspension here will finally get through his head that he has a golden opportunity here to use the God-given talent that he's been given and utilize it and you know make his and you know make sure his career still has a chance of being successful because if not. He's gonna end up just like some of these busts out here. They're gonna end up in. He's gonna end up either in jail or dead or flat broke because he can't, you know, let go. Oh, we do. I mean, how we do turn it around? I mean, that, I mean, that's a lot of time getting wasted right there. I mean, how you go from leading the league in receptions in 2013? Only playing one game since then. Yep, no, I, 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 I'm right there with you. But I think you posted this as well. You know, switching gears a little bit to um, the MMA, the MMA story, the story about somebody. There we go. I see it right here. Anderson Silva tested positive for anabolic steroid prior to his main event against Dick Diaz. What is it with these Bama's testing positive for crap? What is going on? Really? Do they not think they're going to get caught? Obviously, they don't think that they're going to get caught. They feel as though they are above whatever law and rules and or that it's not going to be in their system by the time they get back. I mean, they need to get it through their head. I mean, you had John Jones, who got hit for, got testified for cocaine. Clancy doesn't have a problem, but still went and got, you know, got help for it. Now you got Anderson Silva, 
Silva tested positive for anabolic steroid prior to a main event match. And it's like, dude, come on, man. Like, you should know that you're going to get drug tested, especially, especially if you've got a fight coming up. You should know you're going to get drug tested. So why in the world, why, why in the hell are you doing crap like that? What is, I'm just trying to figure out what's going, what goes through these people's minds when they, you know, something like this, when, you know, they, I don't, I'm at a loss for words. That's how, that's how boggled my mind is about this, is that I just don't know what goes through their minds when they do steroids, they do the recreational drugs, and they're in a sport where one bad shot could possibly either permanently disable them or kill them, and yet they're putting their lives, they put their lives in other people's hands in their own when they get inside those, the, the octagon or whatever the hell it's called and things like that, and then they're going to go and do drugs and stuff like that? Come on, now. Why are you going to even set yourself up like that? Honestly, sometimes don't it's like I think they do it so they won't they won't feel they won't feel the pain as much. Some of them probably need to be intoxicated to actually be able to withstand a lot of pain. However, when you were in a ring under the influence with other human beings, I mean, you have no control over what you're actually doing. I mean, you put them at serious risk of really getting hurt. So that's they're intoxicated too. <laughs> it makes me wonder that girl that had her ear, a piece of her ear knocked off by a punch. You got to wonder if she was on any kind of drug because she actually wanted to keep fighting. And I'm like, if I lose a piece of my ear, yeah, I'm done. I'm like, look, I'm I'm throwing in the towel. I'm going to the hospital to get this stitched up, and I'll go fight another day. But this girl wanted to keep fighting. I got to wonder, was she on drugs? I'm starting I'm starting to believe that a lot of people in MMA aren't drugs. I hate to I hate to make that kind of distinction or make that kind of statement, but just just what I'm seeing recently, it leads me to believe that there's a drug culture in MMA. Now, I'm hoping I'm wrong, but I don't think so. That's just me. I mean, it's funny how it's all of a sudden all these drug tests are coming to the light now. It makes me wonder how long has how long have these mixed martial art fighters have been actually fighting under the influence? Because I remember uh, I was watching uh, Mike Tyson fan. He actually admitted to being high during most of his fight. Oh man! Yes, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm just. That's what my thought process. That's to say that you know, there's drug culture going on in, in MMA because I'm just seeing too many people testing positive for crap, and it's just like, why would you even want to be involved in something like that when you're in a sport where you could be, it can really affect your life. Honestly, I don't think I don't think people think about I don't think they think about that aspect. 
So, Chills, what what inspired you to post that, to put up today, that post about the 20 most ridiculous WCW storylines? Honestly, I was trying to watch it on my phone and it kept going back to regular Facebook. So I posted it in groups. Uh, one, we do cover sports. We do cover wrestling inside the Scott House. Two, so I see yeah. you look at it, I got get off the clock. I believe get off there. Plus, I mean, WCW has had some real ridiculous storylines. I mean, from the new blood, from the new, new blood to the mean age club. That was a bad storyline. I mean, it was, I mean, it wasn't a bad idea, but that was an idea that should have happened two years earlier. No, when that whole storyline, that should have been a storyline to push the future of WCW. The younger talent, the guys that that could have took WCW to that well, next level. Yeah. WWE. At that point, they did that storyline. WCW was already in the toilet. It was already on life support. They was, I mean, it was just, that storyline wasn't bad. It was just, it was too late. I mean, from the Sting versus Ultimate Warrior, bad storyline. WCW had, had a lot of bad storylines. A lot of them. Mm-hmm. I can't believe they was able to find 20 of them. I could have at least pointed out maybe more than 20, in my opinion. Like, And I'm going to look at that list later it's on our, when we go off air. And the world title. Huh? David Arquette winning the world heavyweight title. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. That... Before I even look at that list, that has to be number one. If that's not number one, that list is, is invalid, in my opinion. That I, was worth Vince McMahon winning the WWE title. Yeah, but at least when Vince won the WWE title, when it was the WWF title, he get, he relinquished it that, like, the following week. Arquette held the World Heavyweight Championship for a couple of weeks. Or at least a month. Well, actually, he didn't relinquish the ECW title. No, yeah, that's right. He didn't relinquish the ECW title. So that, yeah, that ranks up right up there. That was, so, yeah. that, was just, Arch- uh, mis- that was a miscarriage of justice. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, another storyline that kind of like was like, what the hell? With WCW, I mean, besides the Arquette thing was, let's see. It was, it was so many of them. It was so many of them. Um, like turning glacier, WCW like turning glacier heel. Huh? WCW versus Battle Dome. <laughs> I think turning glacier heel was stupid, even though he was getting kind of booed because a lot of people were getting tired of his gimmick. But to turn him heel, it was just. Stupid, and even more stupid was turning Goldberg heel because 
Yeah. <laughs> that no, that was stupid. That that failed. That was so, that was so stupid. He was here all, I think, what, about a month or so, and then they turned him back. It was like the, the, the dumbest move they can make. Because he was doing all these children's charities and all this other stuff, but on TV he was just this raving asshole. And it was just like, no, you can't do that. Which will probably explain why they don't want to turn Cena Hill because so he does so many Make-A-Wish he does so many wishes for the Make Wish Foundation that it would make no sense to make him heal. That would explain a lot. I mean, I never really thought it from that point. Thought about it from that point. Because, I mean, think about it. I mean, Cena does charity work every day. <laughs> he's writing wishes. He's doing charity. He's raising kids. You know, he's possibly visiting schools. So for you to turn him heel, it could it I mean, it could do a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't even be believable. Speaking of Cena, can you believe that there's a likelihood that Cena is now been pushed back to be competing for the United States championship? After being like a 15-time world champion, I'm not surprised because that now WWE is at the point where they have to move on to the future. John Cena right. is not your future. He's 37. Me and me, I'm saying WWE has to start. With their future stars. I mean, the Daniel Ryan, the Dean Ambroses, the Seth Rollins, the Rusev, the Dolph Ziggler, the Roman Reigns, the Biggie Lacey, Lacey, you know he's not going to get shit, but. But I, I mean, all these two stars that they had, it's about time for, w, for WWE to really establish the, the next generation. Because the Fiend era is pretty much done. Right. I mean, my thing is this, is that, you know, I watched Monday Night Raw this past Monday, though I missed the ending because I fell asleep. Luckily, I DVR'd it, and I'm going to watch, try to watch the end, the last bit of it later today, just later tonight after we go off air. Um, but I'm really, really, really worried about Roman Reigns. I mean, you know, he won the Royal Rumble, but he was booed unmercifully. You know, now he's in a situation where now he's got to fight Daniel Bryan at Fastlane, four shot at the world title at the title at WrestleMania. I just have a feeling that that's going to be taken away from him, and they're going to put Daniel in that match because you know everybody's going to listen to the to the internet wrestling community and say he's not ready and relegate him back to something else. Honestly, he is not ready. Not by long shots. His mic work is terrible. His ring work is terrible. He's not really believable. 
it's like he's not the guy that you want to take, that you want to build your next generation around. The only reason that Agassi can get in the title, the only reason he's going to get the title is because he's more believable at beating Brock Lesnar than anyone else is. Who else can really take the title from Brock? That would be believable. Dave Bryan is a great wrestler, but is he believable at beating Brock Lesnar? Right. Right. No. Who else do you have? Dean Ambrose, another great wrestler. Is he believable at beating Brock? No. Nah. Rollins? No. I mean, I would say Randy Orton, but Randy Orton is still injured. Well, he's not on speed yet. <laughs> so, I mean, what else do you have? I mean, you can't turn, you cannot turn Ray face. Then you can't turn who face? Ray. Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no. his character is too perfect as a heel for it to be a face at all. It just wouldn't work. I mean, just I mean, so it's like Roman Reigns is your only believing guy. I mean, they won't, they refuse to do anything with Jack Swagger. I mean, granted, he does not have. His manager. And it's hard to really get him sold as a gimmick. But still. I mean, Jack has the talent. <laughs> they just need, you know, they need to be with him. I mean, go ahead. What's funny is that a lot of people are saying that what's going to end up happening is that Reigns is going to go into WrestleMania, he'll beat Brock, and then Rollins will cash in on him and take the championship, and then those two will feud, you know, like the you know shield on shield feud type of thing. Which I, I mean, I I can see that happening. I can honestly see that happening because I mean, one, it will, it will make an interesting storyline. Because one, Reigns and Rollins really never feuded. Rollins was feuded with uh, Dean, but never really was Roman. I mean, he gave him the curb stop on the cement block, and that was pretty much it. They never really had a back and forth feud. At this point of, at this point, they would need they would need that field to help Roman look strong. But this is another story I wanted to get into. This story is more so tragic than anything else.
Do you remember do you remember Victor Page from the George San Hoyer? Well, for those who don't, who don't remember him, um, he was the shooting guard slash former Big E scoring champion <laughs> in the late 90s, well, mid to late 90s. 96, he played, he was the shooting guard with, he was the shooting guard with Alan Iverson in that squad. And Iverson leaves, he, he became the guy. Now he's serving a 10-year sentence in prison. It's more than that, though, between his battle against PCP. He's been, oh, he's had, he has, he's had a total of 33 incidents in the past three years in this area. 33. He got shot in the eye in 2003. That's one of those those tragic stories that you hear about, you know, athletes who are just they, they, they they have all, the whole world in front of them, and just everything just falls to crap, and it's it's sad. It's real sad, just like that that story that's been on Facebook about the the wrestlers who, you know, were riding high, now they're, you know, not doing so very well. Like Kamala, the wrestler who played for Kamala now has no leg, has only half legs because of diabetes. Both of his legs you know, so I mean, it's just it's, it's sad to see athletes. It's sad to see athletes, whether regardless of sport, who just you know fall off like that. You know, it's sad. It just you know makes you wonder, like, what are they doing? Yeah, I mean, this gentleman has been charged thirty three times with. He's been charged with thirty three times since in the past three and a half years in Merlin and DC. Like, I mean, he played in the CBA, but like, I mean, he had good talent. You know I mean, between drugs and that rough thug life, I mean, God. I mean, it's terrible. Yes, I mean, and then you think about you know college players who just you know fall off again. You go back to to Lawrence Phillips. I mean, he had his troubles in college with domestic violence and things like that, and his his whole career in life went to crap. You look at Ryan Leaf. I mean, he was he was didn't have any struggles in college in terms of off the field issues, but he ended up he ended up having to serve a jail sentence because of drug use. And then you look at, you know, and I think the most famous one that you can think of is Lynn Bias. Lynn Bias was getting ready to go to the Boston Celtics after a successful career in Maryland. Next thing you know, he found dead of a 
a cocaine overdose. And it's just like, you know. He died. He died on a night that drafted. The night that he got drafted, like, you know, every time I hear about Limbys or see a documentary on him, like, it, it, it really bothers me. Like, all that talent that just never did, like, that, that never made it to the NBA. Yeah, I mean, to this day, I think a lot of people wonder what kind of player Lynn Bias could have been had he not had, you know, that drug problem and that ended up, that ended up killing him. You know, what kind of NBA player could he have been? In your opinion, what what kind of player could Lynn you know, Bias have been in the NBA? He would have had a great career. He would have had a great career based on the fact that he would have been where Michael Jordan was to the NBA. He had athleticism. He was able to score from anywhere on the court. He had great defense. He would have been. Limbaugh would have been. He would have been a man. Like if Limbaugh didn't die, the Lakers wouldn't have won five championships in the eighties. I'll take that back four. What's the next, what is the next topic we can talk about? Somebody else did something I wanted to discuss, but I can't remember what it was. I mean, the Atlanta Hawks lost their first. We lost their 19-game win streak got ended to the New Orleans Pelicans. Yep, yep. Uh, uh, We're almost to the. Here's oh, something to think about. Next one. Jason Worth served jail time for reckless driving. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that now. Yeah. About that. Um, yeah. <laughs> about that. Um, yeah. And then, Pat, I see that you saw the picture of Edelman and, uh, Edelman and the thought. The thought said, just fuck Edelman. No lie. Like, I was, really, I was just, I, I, like, I was really, really bitch? Like, I mean, that's some straight side chick shit. Huh? That's some shitty side chick. That's some side chick shit. And I like the the caption on it, though. It said that she's been blacklisted from Boston clubs. Like, that's what you get for putting your shit out there, Slim. Well. 
Exactly. I'm trying to uh, do damage to the franchise. I mean, you got to get checked for that, huh? But you get what you to the team. It's, it's obvious this new generation of, of 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 groupies they don't really understand they don't really understand their role when it comes to being a groupie. And you know, women who listen to this, please, please, please don't think that I'm, you know, some sexist dude because I'm not, you know, I'm not that kind of person. I mean I have a seven year old stepdaughter so the last thing I would want is for her to get, you know, treated like that. But some of these groupies nowadays, they obviously have, you know, they don't have the same thought processes of previous, of the of the old, you know, regime of groupies. They do what they got to do, and they keep their mouth shut. But I think the problem is that with the advent of social media, that's what made this this game so different. Exactly. A lot of these, a lot of these things trying to they trying to get some more out of it. They actually trying to get careers and houses and cars out of it. They trying to get fame and recognition out of it. They trying to get some real stability out of it. Yeah, I mean, I think the, again, the advent of the of social media has made it to the point that you know these men out, these athletes out here can't have these little side pieces, these groupy side pieces, because these young, especially these young, these young girls, because first thing they're gonna do is put it on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I just fucked so and so, and this, that, and the third, and he just bought me a watch and everything like that. It'll go right on Instagram. It'll go on Twitter. It'll go on Facebook. It'll go on Snapchat. It'll go on Google Plus. What's the other? So all of the social media sites. It go on there. You know. So it's not like back in the old days where if you had a groupie and she was your side piece. The only way you find out is if Shorty showed up to your doorstep with pictures or somebody sent pictures and everything like that. And now, now you gotta do is go on social media. <laughs> And you'll see that kind of crap. Right. This isn't sports related, but I had a funny story. There was a there's a guy that I'm friends with on Facebook. I'm still kind of I'm still friends with him, but I don't see much from him. But one day, it was like a couple years ago. His wife, I guess now she's ex-wife, I'm not sure, but his wife got on his Facebook and straight blasted this dude. Blasted him, because apparently he was fooling around on her, and she found out. So the best way to get back at him, she went right on his Facebook. Not, not She didn't have her own and then tag him in it. She went on this family's Facebook and put this big little paragraph about how he betrayed her, their kids, Doing this, that, and the third. I was like, I, but I thought I was just like, well, I'll be goddamn. Like, that's what we doing nowadays? Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, 
but you know, back to the whole thing with the, the groupies and everything. I mean, again, yeah, social media. You even have shows. You even have shows that he catch bammers in that thing. Cheaters. You ever seen that show, Cheaters? Yeah. That was so yeah. when he got sad. When you have shows like that, I really think it discourages people from even considering doing crap like that. Because, you know, you either end up on social media or you're going to end up on cheaters. I don't want to end up on cheaters. You know, trust and believe me. I don't want to end up yeah. on cheaters. Even though my even though my my significant other is 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 not is, is not African American, she's about as crazy as one. I understand. I'm just I'm just saying. Baby, I love you, but yeah. <laughs> so right. we, got, we got plenty of time left. You wanna you wanna do a preview or a review of this past season now that the NFL regular NFL season is completely over? You know you know, let's do like a top five takeaways from this season, you know our our top five takeaways and stuff like that. Just so you know, what we took away that the most from this past season. Well besides uh the fact that everybody thought that the Patriots were done after we like after the first five games, they turn around and shocked the world by winning the Super Bowl. Oh, uh, let's see another one. Other suspensions and injuries. Oh, two thousand fourteen has been a year of injuries. I mean, Sean Lee, D'Angelo Hall. Who, I mean, Julio got hurt. Julio got hurt. I just can't think of it. I mean, a lot of players got hurt this year. A lot of them got placed on IR. I mean, of course, the Ray Rice situation, the Adrian Peterson situation. And the fact that um, that's about it. I mean, the NFC West was, I don't know, nah, the emergence of the AFC North has to be one. You was, I mean, that division sent three teams to the playoffs. Three. With Cleveland being, what, a game or two out? Mm-hmm. What about you, Chad? I think my biggest takeaway is, number one, had to be the NFL's handling of domestic violence and um other violence that occurred off the field with their players with, you know, the way they handled the Ray Rice situation, first suspended for two games, then suddenly seeing the video and saying, oh, no, you're done. You're done for the season, and then getting cut. And then how it was handled with Peterson and with Greg Hardy 
and I things agree. like that. That was definitely one takeaway is, you know, how the NFL handled that and how they tried to fix it. And then now they put themselves in a situation where they're fighting the union because they put a policy in place without – and this is one thing I've learned being in HR in a place where there is a union involved. Um, whenever you place policy – whenever you implement, try to implement policy or you come up with a policy that needs to be implemented – when you have a union, you have to do what's called effects bargaining, meaning you have to talk with the union and let them know and get, you know, agreement from them on this policy. You can't just unilaterally create a policy and imp- implement it and enforce it on individuals who are part of a union. You have to do effects bargaining, and apparently the NFL did not do that. That's alleged, so that's one takeaway. The other take, another takeaway I have is how god awful the NFC South was this year. I mean, good lord! A year ago, Carolina was a, a year ago. Carolina was a num was a top seed. They had a home playoff game in the divisional round about a year, two years ago, or something like that. And then this year, they end up in the playoffs as the division champs with a seven and nine record. Like, really? Like. It was the NFC South was so god awful, and when you have teams like Carolina with that defense, Atlanta with that offense, New Orleans Saints with both, and the fact that nobody, nobody finished above at or above five hundred in that division, wow! I was shocked at that. I was so shocked. I was so shocked. I was like, wow! I did not expect to see that division. With those three, at least three of those teams being such juggernauts, end up being a, a horse race to see who would be a division champ and had the crappiest record. <laughs> that was just crazy. Wait, wait, and wait, wait, think, wait. How about that? That one crappy Carolina, Carolina Panthers team was still able to win a division, win a playoff game. Against a struggling Arizona Cardinals team that was missing the quarterback. He's right, you know. So it's like, it's like you want to knock them for having, not having a 500 record, but they still won a division and won a playoff game. This is true. But that's just one of my takeaways was the fact that, you know, that division was just so bad all the way around. I mean, I'm, and that, like I said, that usually is a, a division that's very, very strong. Matter of fact, that was, they were starting to come up as the strong, one of the strongest divisions in the NFC. And it's it just, this year, they seemingly, seemingly took a step back. So I'm hopeful that next year they'll be able to take that step forward and um, be a better, be a better division overall. And my, uh, my last takeaway is got to be the emergence of Odell Beckham Jr. Now, granted, he is on a division rival, but you cannot take away the fact that that man missed, I think, four games. He only played 12 games this season, and he had numbers better than most receivers who played a full 16-game season, and this was his rookie year. I know. I mean, he was – he was runaway. He had to be a runaway winner for a rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year, 
at the awards last week uh, last weekend. And if he wasn't a runaway, I got to wonder how how he wasn't because he, he played amazing. Huh? Mike Evans had a great rookie. Mike Evans had a great rookie season. Yes, he did. You compare, you compare them number. You compare their numbers. They're not that far off. But I mean, Odell Beckham made better plays. <laughs> I just want to see can Odell get up though. Like, I mean, can he really be that number one receiver for the long run? Well, I mean, here's the thing: when you get um, when you get uh, when you get Cruz back, I'm sure Cruz is going to be the number one, and Beckham's going to be the number two. You got to think that. I mean, who's never really the number one? Brandon Cruz is one of the best slot receivers in the game. I mean, his strength is really defined. I mean, I look at, I mean, that New York Giants team is going to be something special. I mean, you got Ruben Randall, your big receiver. You got your big you got your big play receiver, Victor Cruz, who can stretch the field. You got Odell Beckham, who's just, who's just a monster. Give, give Eli that right, run, that proper run game. I mean, Rashad Jennings was a great pickup. However, his health is not the best. When he's healthy, he's effective. He's a monster. When he's not, your run game suffers unless you have a solid backup. I mean, the Giants didn't have that. Yeah, I think that I, I agree. I think that once you get Cruz back, you have Cruz, Od, Odell Beckham, and Ruben Randall. I think that you know their receiving core is going to be a very strong, formidable receiving core. But you gotta wonder, you gotta think that the Giants need a need a strong running game so they're not one dimensional. Because if they become one dimensional and rely just on the pass, they're going to you know a lot of teams are going to be able to you know figure them out. And be able to stop him because you know Eli Manning. Yeah, he has two Super Bowl rings, but the last couple of seasons he's been a turnover machine. And if you get if you get into a situation where it's a one dimensional passing offense, Eli's going to throw throw away a lot of games, in my opinion. And again, this is not me talking as a as a as a fan of a of a rival. This is me talking as somebody who pays a lot of attention to football. Eli Manning needs a run game. He needs a run game, so that way it's not all on his shoulders. If he has a run game and it's not all on his shoulders, I think the Giants, I think they compete. They may not win a division this year, I mean, this coming season, but I think they're going to definitely compete. But if they don't have a running game and they have to rely on Eli all the way around, I seriously think that the Giants will end up either in third place or in the cellar again. Yeah. How much time we left? How much time we got left, man? We got less than ten minutes. You got less than ten? We did get a late start on this, but you know, it is what it is. Oh, we got less than ten minutes, so I'm sure we can think of something else to talk about. My phone left. Ugh, boy. 
Okay, we'll give you a NBA school date. We'll talk to the Hawks. One hundred five to six. One hundred five to ninety six. Man, the Hawks been punishing the shit out of people lately. Man, I've been somewhat paying attention. I see the Hawks are just running over Bamas, man. It's just like they just doing the damn thing. And just a quick note, I know we're talking about basketball, we're talking about NBA, but just a quick note, right now the Maryland Terrapins hosting the uh, post in Penn State, and Maryland currently has a 59-55 lead over them, and they just took a timeout with a minute and 18 seconds left in the second half. And, oh, and then Penn State just made a three-pointer to cut the lead to within one. So... That's a there's a close game between those two right uh, right now over in College Park. So again, Maryland's up fifty nine fifty eight with uh close to a minute to go. Maryland currently ranked seventeenth in the nation in their first year of Big Ten play in basketball after their football season. So that should be interesting to see how that game turns out. And once it goes to finals, if we're still on the air, I'll let y'all know what the final score is. But let's uh, talk about. NBA wise, NBA wise, I mean, Atlanta Hawks though, like, wow, where did they come from? Well, I mean, the head coach came from San Antonio, but let's talk about Merlin real quick though. Let's talk about how this is the school's first year in the Big Ten. Their football team had a good had a good season. Right now, their basketball team is having their men's basketball team is having a good season. Their women, their women's basketball team will have is going to have a great season. Because I mean, it's been a while since they had a bad one. Like right now, the move to the Big Ten is looking looking very promising for the Minnesota. I mean, how do you? I mean, do you think they'll be better in the Big Ten than than they ever were in the ACC? Hello. Yeah, I'm here. I mean, no. What was the question? You asking me a question? I was asking, considering the fact that they came into the Big Ten off their first year and had immediate success. Do you think they'll be better in the Big? Ten than they were in the ACC. I'm going to be quite honest with you. When I first heard, because I'm, I'm a Maryland fan. I'm, I mean, a lot of people ask me why I'm a Maryland fan when you got Georgetown and all that stuff, but I just, I'm just a Maryland fan. So when I first heard that Maryland was going to the Big Ten, my immediate, my immediate thought was, was that they were going to get punished because they were having somewhat of a hard time in ACC. So I figured, shit, the Big Ten, they're going to, they're going to get punished. But come in to the Big Ten, not only in football, but now in basketball, and have done so, so well. I honestly think that this move to the Big Ten was needed because now they're, you know, now they're showing themselves. I mean, you get you're in the ACC with the Dukes and the with the Dukes and the and the North Carolinas and the NC States and all that other stuff. I mean, you look at it was like the basketball. Ten got don't have no slouch teams. Big Ten don't have no slouch teams. Those teams are no slouches, but they're really showing up. 
and I'm impressed. I mean, I, I mean, it was like both schools. I ain't gonna lie, I thought they were gonna punish. I mean, Big Ten basketball. I mean, Michigan, Ohio, well, not really too much Ohio State, Michigan State. I thought schools like that was gonna punish them. Football, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Penn State, Ohio State, Vanderbilt. Wait, Vanderbilt's just oh yeah. I mean, I thought schools like that, like, oh, my God, like, I mean, that's a tough schedule. Look, this is the record. Yeah, what they this, did? This is, the this, is, this is Maryland's record right now, uh, like, barring what they do tonight. They're currently 18-4 and four on the season. 18-4 and four on the season. Which, that's, that's amazing to me. They're 18-4. and right. four In their first year in the Big Ten. Eighteen and four. That's awesome, in my opinion. And if you look, if you look at the Big Ten standings, they're actually third in the Big Ten with a six and three conference record. The only the only two teams ahead of them are Wisconsin, number one. They've only lost once in the um in their conference. And then Purdue was only lost, who's seven and three. So you th- you figure Maryland, if they beat Penn State today, will now be seven and three, and will most likely leapfrog Purdue because of their overall record, which will put them second. If the tournament were, to, if the Big Ten tournament were to start today, they, they would be a top two seed in their first year. <laughs> Mm. Crazy, dude. It's crazy. Yeah. I ain't even gonna lie. Like, I didn't expect money to be what they, what they were. Like, I mean, I guess they had, they really had something. To, they felt that they had something to prove. I'm glad that they're proving it. Like, because, I mean, this past football season was the best I've seen running football in a while. Just well free. Basketball. I mean, they were okay last year, but this year's like that. She got a legitimate chance to really do something, not only in a Big Ten, but in a NCAA tournament. I mean, I'm not going to say they're going to be fire, but it's going to be interesting to watch them play now, to see them play against quality basketball teams. I I just hope they keep it up, man, like... Don't don't slouch at the wrong season because I mean the tournament starts next month. Oh shit! One more thing I want to talk about before we uh, call it a night. Duke Dog's yeah. son commits to UCLA. Nice. At a Snoop favorite college, USC. For those who don't know Snoop. Son was actually a four-star receiver, four-star prospect receiver. Today was actually National Signing Day for all high school players going to college. Yes, it was. 2013, Ohio State was was one of the big winners. 
didn't even get a chance to really follow it like I wanted to. I'm probably going to look over it when I when we get all uh, I'll post some updates on the Facebook page. Guy about Facebook dot com. Yep. How much time you got left, Chad? Less than sixty seconds. Okay. Friday night, you had his and hers hosted by poetry. Don't say diva. Free Bishop Eddie. That show begins at nine p.m. eight p.m. eight p.m. Central Time. Monday, we have the Hangout hosted by Best in the World, Brandon Moore, Poetry, Extreme Angel. That show is also at nine p.m. Eastern, eight p.m. Central, eight p.m. Central. Tuesday night, we have the DMV. We have the DMVF Unleashed, hosted by Poetry. Best in the world, Brandon Moore, JT, and Mike Brown. And Wednesday, every Wednesday night, you have the Skybox, hosted by me, Chill, the DC People's Champ. I'm enjoying. Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Central. This has been another. Great episode of the Skybox. This is your boy Chills. We logging out. And this is DC's People's Champ. We'll see y'all next week. Enjoy. God bless. Talk to you later. If you are